Yes, folks, I'm Fred McMurray. It's 2 p.m. Pacific. It's Thursday, and we've had 25 seconds of applause, so this must be... God, I love the guitar riff. I can play that over and over and <laughs> over again. I truly well, love I think, that guitar riff. I think that you should have uh, Markel's at your next re-birthday party on the beach and have him bring that guitar live. Yeah. Uh, well, you know yeah. what's funny? My son is up for an award. We have these local nappy awards, and he's up for an award for being in a brass band on his trumpet and a folk punk alternative band for his guitar. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's cool. Hey, so not only happy Friday Eve, but happy Memorial Day Friday Eve. I can't believe it's already Memorial Day. I don't know what happened in May. No, me either. Yesterday was high school graduation. The week before was eighth grade graduation. It's barely, I mean, Chicago's had maybe two weeks total in the whole month of May that have had sun. Well, <laughs> not even two weeks, you know, maybe above 50. It's been miserable. Yeah. But <sighs> enough about that. Let's get on with some business. Dude, I'm excited about this show. It's somebody that you were kind of well, social media. Wait, 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 time out. Time out, time out before you get to the show. We have okay. fireworks because, of course, we are welcoming a new member resource. We are. We are. If you had just told us, we would have planned and queued that whole thing up. Yeah, well, but, it took me by surprise. So, you know, whatever. Okay, well, okay. Would, would you like to do that introduction then from afar? No, I'll let you do it because you're well well knowledgeable of of the new resource coming in and and given that it was just graduation and most people don't get you know fireworks hey what the heck oh <laughs> you have to put your face in the camera <laughs> okay so this is my daughter johanna hi she is uh fresh out of high school and on her way to university of chicago uh, as a journalism major, and so she is going to be helping uh, Elizabeth with our digital magazine, some of our blog stuff, and for any of our folks that um, need some help writing. So welcome to her. Welcome, baby girl. Yes, I'm so excited to have her. I can't wait to get this. Yeah, okay. so that'll be a ton of fun, and I can't wait to get her to work. So um, she's going to be joining us silently on the side today so she can take notes of how the show goes and uh, how the craziness ensues once we are live after the applause stops. So uh, with Memorial Day right around the corner, I hope everyone has great plans and uh, has a safe holiday and uh, spends some time with family and friends. But let's get a word on the street, Elizabeth. So word on the street has to do with our guest, which is Daniel Stein from Special Strong. So he has a whole fitness program for special needs individuals. Um, so we thought we would talk about diversity in the workforce in terms of people who may struggle with neurodiversity or disability or any of those things and, and just talk about the ideas of incorporating some of those 
people into your workforce. And I don't know if everybody is aware, but there are a lot of government programs that will help subsidize that and help with training um, to get people up to speed so that they're able to perform the jobs that you need them for. And it's just something to be aware of and to remind everyone of, I think, um, because it's an important part of the workforce. I have one is uh, Down syndrome and one is uh, non-verbally autistic. And so for them to have jobs and feel productive and, and do their ages, they're 20, one just turned 24. It's a huge, important part of our economy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, you, you are correct before we uh, had that reminder from Fred. I have been stalking Daniel for months now because if you've ever had a few extra minutes and you haven't checked out um, Special Strong, whether it's on LinkedIn or whether it's on Facebook, the videos that he shows will literally bring you to tears. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are amazing, life-changing events that his facility helps provide. And they're all different age groups, all different disabilities, uh, or, um, you know, in different places. And so I just, I can't wait to bring him on. And I, I think it's a really good idea, Elizabeth, that you pointed out that there are a lot of opportunities for small businesses to employ folks that maybe you don't think are necessarily, you know, able to work in your environment. And, you know, we used to, when I was with Home Depot, we would have them with job coaches quite frequently. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was great because, you know, then you have them working themselves into the community. They feel good about what they're doing. Their job coach is there to help them with anything tricky or anything that perhaps is beyond um, their knowledge level. Um, and I just think it's great to try to get everybody working so everybody feels as a human that they can contribute to society today. Yeah. So I'm going to post in social. There's a page on uh, dol.gov that talks about campaigns for disability employment. Um, partnership on an inclusive apprenticeship, uh, building an inclusive workforce. So it gives you sort of some checklists and guidelines of how you would approach that if you were interested in something like that and have jobs that anybody who wanted to work could do. Um, there's some information on addressing the needs of youth with disabilities for um, getting jobs and internships and that kind of thing. So I'll, I'll post that on our social media just so you have a handy dandy reference point. Right. You know, the other thing I want to just point really quickly in this article that jumped out right away from me is mental health at work. Mm -hmm. You know, last week we brought that up with LA Mental Health, and um, obviously it's part of this as well. And again, small business, large business, it doesn't matter. It's about recognizing the human for, the, for who the human is, meeting them where they're at. And I think that, um, take a look at this article. I mean, there are some amazing campaigns out there. Um, you know, who am I? I can all different um, things that can help people get involved. And when we're in a labor crunch like this, listen, you know, this is a great place to look, dependent, of course, upon the type of business that you own. So um, don't, don't let this opportunity slide past you. Absolutely. I think um, definitely worth reminding ourselves of, especially like you pointed out in the labor crisis. Are you ready to bring on our guests? I am, but let's remind folks if they have any uh, questions, comments, or concerns, you can call in at 323-580-5755. Again, that's 323-580-5755. Let's get on with the show. 
All right. Welcome to our special guest, Daniel Stein, on Pillars of Franchising. He is, we are so excited. We've been wanting to have him on the show for a while. And I am going to read his bio because it does such a great job explaining who he is and what he does. Um, at the age of four, Daniel was diagnosed with a learning disability, and the doctor said his only options were medication and therapy. He struggled in school to make friends, got bullied for being different. In middle school, his parents got him a gym membership to the YNCA, and he started exercising, and it changed his life. By the age of 21, he was diagnosed with a mood disorder and an autoimmune disease. Not only did exercise change his life, it gave him the strength and confidence to live an independent and abundant life as he took control of his future. As a result of his challenges, he felt a deep calling to help others with mental and physical challenges experience an abundant life through health and fitness. She froze. Okay, yeah, I didn't know if that was me. I'm gonna, since we're frozen, I'm gonna grab something real quick. Yep. Elizabeth, you froze. And she was on quite a roll, too. Yeah, she was doing great. <laughs> Let's see here. You froze. She just had her internet upgraded, too. That's okay. Uh, it happens to me. It's, it's weird in, in our office. Um, I can't figure it out, but anytime somebody else comes into the office that has another building, when they connect to the internet, for some reason, mine gets shut off. I don't understand that. Uh, it, ha yeah. it always happens at the worst times. Um, yeah. Like when I'm in a Zoom meeting, you know, it never happens when I'm just browsing the web. It, it always happens <laughs> when I'm in a Zoom meeting. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had it happen today when I was, um, I went to get, I have a fleet. So I own a Molly Maid franchise. I have four territories and we have 15 cars. So at least, you know, twice a month, I'm not getting new tags for whichever car is, you know, due to be registered again. And they had three, and I went to the currency exchange, and oh, the computers are down. Of course. I'm like, really, like I've been driving around with these tags I've needed now for at least a month because I procrastinate. So, so now I have to go back again. But yeah, I have a son who is on the spectrum, and he has mm. ADHD and he had ODD, and boy, it's been a really tough, tough um, last 13 years. <laughs> Yep. How old is he now? He's going to be 14 in May. Got it. So, is, he, is he medicated and everything? Yeah. You know, yeah. I resisted the medication for a very long time. Sure. Because I, you know, they, they came up with. Today, they continue to expand Special Strong to other markets through Special Strong franchises movement in every state and multiple countries around the world. You can visit specialstrong.com to find out more. And when I received that vision from my mentor, um, I Hey, I just did Elizabeth, Jerry, how about you? I didn't, but I was really shocked when I looked up and saw that you and I were on the screen. I think that that's going to give us a moment to fix the technical difficulties we're having with the uh, with the server. But oddly enough, you know, that's where Daniel and I were, were talking during our interview about technical difficulties. <laughs> you know, we live, in a, we live in a world that's all based on technology now, and there's going to be difficulties all the time. We just have to roll with it, right? Hey, it's kind of like having a small business. 
It's exactly like having a small business. There's something new all the time that you cannot expect or prepare for. Yeah. Just have to figure your way through it, right? Yeah. I mean, one moment you're completely in control and the next moment the wheels have fallen off and they're rolling down the road. <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. I, I'm looking at the screen now and I see I've got about half of my face on. So I'm trying to figure out there. I'll lean this way. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's always the that's always the uh, trick when we you know we try to make sure that we're bringing um, very high quality guests and and with Daniel, I mean, really, she's not kidding when I stalked him for months to try to get a hold of him. And so, unfortunately for him, Thursdays are really busy, so we had to do a pre-record, which was amazing. But as you can see, we had some hiccups along the way getting the re the, the pre-record even going smoothly. Um, with internet and all. So anyway, apologize for all that, but let's get on to what you and I are going to talk about, which is franchisees who are looking to expand their business. Expand or start their business, because yeah. I want to talk about acquisitions. Um, first off, just like you, we grew our business uh, partially through acquisitions. We have, you know, some organic growth, but part of them will uh, work through uh, acquisitions. But what most people don't know is our very first one, our very first location, our very first franchise was an acquisition. It was not one where you call a franchise broker and they set you up with uh, you know three or four to look at or those kinds of right. things. We actually were approached by a, a, a business broker, which is different, but affi affiliated with a franchise broker. Mm -hmm. A lot of times business brokers will have existing franchises and maybe even new franchises listed as well as, you know, non-franchise businesses. So my point with all this is I want our listeners to understand whether you're buying your first one or expanding, mm -hmm. acquisitions is a great way to go. And I, I want to talk specifically for a minute about somebody thinking about buying their first franchise and make sure that they don't look, they don't overlook buy an existing one because you know you start looking at uh, at at new ones uh -huh. and every new one is going to have some ramp time in other words you're you're not going to break even for a while that's right uh, you know every uh when you read the fdds and you start looking into it every one of them will have a different uh, break even time and those kinds of things so you just have to dig into it but um, I've, I've really never seen one less than about four months and some of them are well over a year, maybe even into two years. Sure. And for our, for our listeners who don't understand, that means you're borrowing money for months or maybe even over a year to keep the business flush. And that yeah. may or may not include a paycheck for you. So right. you need to be prepared when you're buying a new franchise. You know, I always look. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jerry, but that's a, a really good point because um, I'm working with a gal to buy a franchise right now, and she's very excited, but, you know, she's she's having the same struggles so many of us do and have, and that's, well, geez, at what point can I actually quit my job, right? And she, her family relies on her having a certain amount of income, and so when we're working through her, her pro forma, um, there are some things that she knows, and then there are some things that she doesn't know. And so as she's going for her loan, she needs to make sure that her loan is going to see her through those months in which she's not going to be making a paycheck. 
Yeah, yeah, and most people forget about that, Kristen. Uh, frankly, too many of them forget about the fact they need to subsidize their business for a while because that should be a part of your upfront loan. Uh, but they forget they need a paycheck. So um, in our situation, my wife and I continued to work for quite some time after we started the business because we needed a paycheck, we needed insurance, health insurance, all those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. uh, point, the overarching point here is that y- you need to talk to an expert about this and, and dig into what it looks like. But, you know, the opposite of buying a new one where you've got that ramp time, when you buy an existing franchise, um, they're, they're cash flowing or making some money or some version of that, depending on yeah. the condition of the business. Um, we bought businesses that were not making money, but they were close. Yeah. And we saw, we saw by changing the way that they did business. In other words, perhaps that franchisee wasn't following the system that they had bought. Very so we, common. Very common. So we knew if we came in and, and went back to where it should have been, that it would grow uh, exponentially, whatever that number is. We usually put a percentage on it in our world. Um, and then there's things that you can do above that. When you buy a franchise, they give you a way of doing business, kind of a guideline or a playbook, but there's always room to do more. And I think of more primarily in operations and training and, and even marketing so that yeah. you can grow beyond that. But um, so many people have lost track of the fact that there are a lot of existing franchise groups for sale out there. You just have to find them. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, I was just listening to, um, you know, my friend over at Vetted Biz, and he just did a thing about business brokers, a couple that had a business broker franchise, as a matter of fact. Um, And and they were talking about, you know, it's it's very challenging for people. I mean, within the franchise community, it, it can be challenging. But outside of the franchise community, when you're talking about private businesses, um, kind of look at these people as business coaches, business consultants, a little bit of like a realtor in them, right? Like they know the area, they know the market. Um, some of them specialize in certain um, certain verticals, whether it's maybe it's car care, maybe it's food, right? And so it's, it's they're a great resource. And the best part about it is it doesn't cost you typically as a buyer right. anything. Yeah, it's just like buying a house. You know, typically the seller is paying the fee for, uh, the sales process, not you. And it's the same in buying an existing uh, franchise from a broker. Uh, typically, the seller is going to take care of that. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at this. And many franchisees may want to buy a brand new one that they can develop themselves and all that kind of stuff. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The vast majority of franchisees get started that way. But um, mm-hmm. you, need, you need to understand the downside and the, the hiccups and the hurdles that you're going to have to go through to get there. One of them is cash flow, right? And so when we buy uh, existing franchises, we typically are looking for one that is cash flowing or maybe even making some money yep. uh, that there is a, but there's still an upside to it. So we're willing to pay whatever it takes to get in. You may, in fact, you will likely pay more to get into the business that way than you would if you bought a new one. Right. But the rough edges are worn off. The guy or lady that started it has already got it running. They've already got employees. Um, now, let's face it, you may change some employees, you may change some ways of doing business, but for today and the foreseeable future, you wouldn't necessarily have to change anything to right. remain the same or grow a little bit. So mm-hmm. I just want our listeners, because that is, a, in my opinion, something that's overlooked quite often in the franchise industry. 
Yeah, I agree. We did have a question come in from chat wanting to know what, uh, what we think are some of the best growing franchise verticals to buy right now. I know we've talked in the past about service businesses because of such low overhead, growing demand, and, and those types of, you know, especially, you know, services for whether it be you have personal services, whether it be home improvement services. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would say uh, personal services is one of the fastest growing and, and really honestly, Kristen, when I analyze it and talk to the people that are in that space, um, we don't see any end in sight to growth on that side. The personal service, you know, we're a society that loves our stuff. We love to get massages <laughs> and we love to get, you know, chiropractic done and we love to get, you know, uh, all kinds of things, nails and hair and, you know, the whole thing. And so... Oh. Uh, and now that's expanded into, uh, you know, a lot of other personal care things like cryotherapy and all that, the new medical type things that are coming down the pike. So uh, right now, nobody sees any end in sight to that category. Uh, the service industry, uh, I think we learned through COVID, service industry continues to grow because, uh, well, most of us don't like doing some of the things the service industry does, right? We don't. We don't like cleaning our own house. We don't, we don't like doing our own plumbing and those kinds of things. So um, those, those categories are not going away. They're going to continue to grow. So I would look at all of those. Um, there's a lot of moving going on in the United States, people moving from state to state and region to region. So yep. I think anything related to moving and shipping is going to be something that will continue to grow for the foreseeable future. And uh, I know Fred gets grumpy when I talk about what, Wait, Fred's grumpy most of the time, so we don't have to go into that part of it. But, um, but food is not going away. We're going yeah. to continue to eat. We're going to want new things to eat. We're going to want all kinds of things. And I watch that really closely, and there's a lot of really cool brands that are coming through that space right now. Yeah, one of my favorite are those Poke Bowls. Those are my favorite indulgence, just so you know. We do have a question here. So actually, I've got a couple for us here. One, well, it's a great question. It's um, We're not necessarily exactly on this topic, but it's one that certainly hits our bottom lines, um, especially in my type of business and maybe in your chiropractic business. Um, but are there any tips on reducing liability workers' comp insurance? I mean, I'll tell you, I have probably one of the lowest in in our group in the Chicago market for for our workers comp and we go for um, <clears throat> it's under uh, residential home care cleaning and we've also run under the janitorial code before but I will tell you a ton of training goes into how to work safe how to protect their back slip and fall things of that nature and um, making sure that you work with your employees if they get hurt you know, go to them right away, find out what the problem is. Is it something that can be dealt with with first aid versus, um, you know, do they really need to go in an ambulance? I had a girl who really wanted to go or thought she needed to go in an ambulance. So we wound up laying out on the carpet doing a few yoga stretches. Next thing you know, we're up and walking out the door. And I thought, wow, well, that was not so hard, you know. But again, those are, you know, situations in which you have the opportunity to do those things and not all sorts situations give you that opportunity so yeah yeah but you started your conversation with this uh Kristen um understanding how that system works is where you have to start and it is primarily based on occurrences yep. so you know you want to try and limit the number of times people get in situations where you have an occurrence where somebody mm -hmm. gets injured and and claims uh something through that so uh and and you you mentioned chiropractic but you didn't mention uh hair care 
And I will tell you, slip and fall is one of the worst ones in hair care. Yeah. Because yeah. They get uh, they spray conditioners and things in hair that fall on the floor, and they can slip on that. Uh, they can trip over things, slide on hair that's on the floor, all kinds of things. And what many people don't understand is they also cut themselves quite often with those sharp shears. Oh, we um, they're so sharp they don't even know they've cut themselves many mm. times until they see the blood. So um, there's multiple problems with that. But if we're just talking about the workers' comp side of that, I mean, we literally have a situation where. Uh, we just have them go directly to the emergency room and get stitched up because um, we found that's the least cost way to do it, um, which helps your, you know, in your overall cost thing. Uh, trying to keep occurrences down comes to training to some extent like you and then finding ways to avoid it, like making sure that, you know, they're cleaning the floor quite often and they're paying attention to what they're doing and uh, trying to not let them get tired because when they get right. tired, things happen. So taking breaks. So that's how you manage that, in my opinion, is you have to understand it, and then you have to watch your job sites to make sure that your people are trained, and there are less things that they can get injured on or with. So yeah, that would be my Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. We do have a couple of questions. I've got um, one. Let me just zoom up here because I kept clicking back. Okay, so one is from Columbus, and they want to know... Um, if you know of any payments being taken by franchisees in form of cryptocurrency. I do not know right now. I know uh, some franchisees are talking about it. Um, I would, I, my belief is the franchisor will have something to say about that because, um, you know, a piece of every dollar you get is a royalty that goes to that franchisor and they're not going to deal with cryptocurrency. So um, I think it's coming and there are going to be some, especially emerging brands in particular that really grasp onto that. Uh, but right now, I don't know of anybody. Uh, there may be some, some out there, but they're in the minority. And frankly, I have had a lot of conversations being on a couple of the boards that I'm on in franchising. Uh, and I think everybody is looking at it. Everybody is cognizant of it, but very few of them are excited to take that step. So it's going to be yeah. a little while before you see it widespread. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I haven't heard of anyone either, but it doesn't mean it's not out there. Um, and Tampa wants to know, what is the biggest issue you have faced um, in, in running multiple locations? You know, um, frankly, I think running multiple locations is pretty easy. So I will tell you the thing that I think is something that people have to pay attention to and they don't uh, very often is, is keeping everything the same. It's like a franchisor does, except you're a franchisee with multiple uh, locations. So making sure that every location feels like you're paying attention to them. So you're not uh, being portrayed as uh, liking the location closer to you than the one furthest away or something. Um, making sure that you keep culture where it needs to be because that's, you know, uh, with our organizations, uh, we do a lot of uh, uh, virtual meetings and, and I actually do, we've got, uh, we've got private Facebook pages for each of our organizations. So I can do, you know, short video snippets on there just to keep everybody's momentum up, keep them excited about what they're doing and those kinds of things and, and let them know I'm thinking about them, even if right. they don't see it all the time. So I don't see, Running multiple locations is a big thing. You, you've got um, you, you've got a mechanical type things that you have to do, operational type things. So, for instance, if you're running multiple locations, you have to have a bank in each of those locations. The bank, um, the the name bank that you use, may not have branches there, so you have to right. set up sweep accounts 
with a local bank. So you all the money's deposited and swept into your account, wherever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have to deal with different utilities and all those landlords and all that kind of stuff. Uh, hiring can be a little bit dicey because if you're not in that market, either have to do it virtually or have a general manager there that does it or things like that. But from my standpoint, again, you know, we are uh, doing, we're about 10 hours from one end of our market to the other driving time. We are scattered over two states, um, Mm -hmm. very rural states. So we don't have a big bunch of them in one location. So our listener, um, I live this every day. My family lives it every day. And uh, frankly, we we don't see it as a real issue. Again, yes, there's some steps you have to take, uh, but at this point in time and for the last 10, 10 years, we have not really seen that as an issue. In fact, commend from a diversification standpoint, having multiple locations because mm-hmm. different, mar- you know, for instance, we're in blue collar, white collar and gray collar markets and the economy impacts those three categories differently. So yep. that way you've got a nice balance and ebb and flow between all of them. So I think there's way more positives than negatives. And if our caller wants to have, you know, further conversation on issues with doing that, uh, they can certainly get a hold of me and I'm happy to do that one-on-one. Excellent. Well, and there is, let's see here. I do have a follow-up to that. Let me see Louisville. I'm coming to you next after this one. So what brands would you recommend for somebody who's interested in going into multi-unit location ownership? That's again from Tampa, kind of a follow-up. Sure. Um, You know, and a lot of them, these are good, good questions too. You know, I don't know if I want to go into naming uh, a lot of brands because frankly, they all have good and bad things about them. But uh, one thing I would tell you is if you're going to be in uh, multiple units, especially after, over a pretty large geographic area, mm-hmm. try and buy into systems that need less of your one-on-one time. In other words, you don't have to be in that location very often they kind of run themselves. So I'll give you an example. I mean, we're doing, uh, we're doing hair care and we've got area managers across the two states that take care of a certain number of salons. So we don't have to be there all the time. So once you train those area managers and you have weekly meetings with them to go over what's going on in their business, their side of the business, it's pretty easy to run. Um, our chiropractic clinics kind of run themselves because we're dealing with some really top-notch professionals that would be running their own clinic sometimes. So that's easy. But if you get into some other brands where it's very labor intensive from the top end, from your level, it can be problematic. It can be time consuming. It can, you can actually be, uh, you can actually hold back the organization because you simply can't be in all places at all times. So, you know, rather than naming franchises, I would look at categories. You know, I've got a good friend that owns uh know smoothie king and there are several great brands out there that compete with them right now you know yep. tropical cafe i'm seeing and and uh, uh i just lost the name of another one but there's two or three other really good ones out there and those are things that you know they don't take a lot of your time if you've got a manager in them they, they will kind of take care of themselves so mm-hmm. i would look at something any brand as long as the category itself takes less of your one-on-one time and yeah. uh and again, the caller, if they want to dig into that a little bit more, we can have some one-on-one time. But uh, I'd like to give uh, plenty of opportunity for lots of franchise systems to get their get yeah. their face in front of people, you know? Right. And it is important to understand that not all franchise systems will allow you to be semi-absentee or absentee owner. So uh, you brought up Tropical 
Smoothie Cafe. We had them on a lunch and it was great people, really, really engaging. And um, I had gone into one and talked to, we made a little TikTok video, but I talked to one of the girls and I said, so where's the owner? You know, does the owner live around here? She said, oh no, they live in Michigan. They just come in every now and then. And I'm like, that's awesome, right? And so, <laughs> and really for a tropical smoothie cafe, what do you really need, right? And so not that you don't need strong leadership and not that you don't need strong management, especially with, you know, you're typically employing younger people who maybe not be as responsible as you need them to be when you're customer facing and maybe, you know, the quality of service they're providing isn't the same, but at least if you get the hiring right, it gives you flexibility to not have to be in that shop every single day. It's about leadership, you know, and it starts with you. And then if you've got a hierarchy, like an operations manager and a general manager and a store manager or whatever, you've got to have that, that culture and the systems built to do it. But again, it, it is not that complicated. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you talked about uh, franchisees living out of state. There's lots of brands that'll do that. You, you didn't bring up a great point. So to our listener, um, I would tell you, and one of them comes to mind right away is Chick-fil-A, where they typically want you to only own one, and they want you to be in that a certain number of hours per week. So mm-hmm. that would be one where you would not be able to potentially, I understand there are some times, but potentially you only get one and you have to work in it. There are some others. Crumble Cookies is another one that wants you in there yep. a certain amount of time, and they tend to want you to own one. And, and I know there's extenuating times when they may let you own more than one, but so don't anybody, you know, kill me because right. I said, but uh, just the listener needs to understand, I would look at that side of it. And when you're having those calls with uh, brokers or franchise or reps or something like that, that you ask those kinds of questions, is yep. there opportunity for me to own multiples? <laughs> Excuse me. How far out can I go? You know, some of them may want you to stay in the same state or the same region. Others don't really care if you can put together a great team on the other side of the country. They will allow you to do that, especially with virtual, uh, you know, communication and so on right now. So, And we have another question here, Jerry, which um, we've talked a lot about um, over the past few weeks. And it, it's something that, you know, I can tell you um, any female in franchising is hoping to fix this problem. And that Louisville wants to know, why is female ownership in franchising so low, only 31%. And I could tell you, you know, personally, I wish I had gotten into it sooner. And, you know, I can say that the IFA is doing a job at engaging women in franchising. And that's only been the last couple of years that that's been going on. The SBA has, um, you know, the WSBA for women-owned businesses. Um, There's a lot of resources out there, but I think part of it is, you know, I hate to make this sound bad, but I think we're all so damn busy that sometimes it just is like yet another thing to take on. It's, you know, can I do it? Sometimes it's a matter of having the gut. Um, sometimes it's a matter of knowing that there are so many resources out there. Um, sometimes we're just so overscheduled that we just don't take time to think about what is it that we really want to do with our lives, right? We're so busy being moms and hockey moms and baseball and there's just a million different things. And so I I hope that we see more and more people wanting to get into it because I think that the franchise model is perfect for women who either have experience in business or don't, quite frankly. Um, but what are your thoughts, Gary? I, you know, you touched on several things there and I, I'm going to preface this so I don't get, you know, burned at the stake. 
with the rest of the conversation, but I'm going to preface it with, I will do anything I can to level the playing field and to get more women into it. I think you're right on that the franchising is absolutely the perfect opportunity for women to grow and expand and own their own business and, you know, help their family. I, I have this vision of more single moms getting into it so they can change the trajectory of the family's life and things like that. But you, you touched on the mom thing and, on, you know, whether we like it or not, uh, women so often are tied up the first, you know, 20 years of their adult life dealing with children, right? So yeah. they may, it, it may be hard for them to even think about owning a business. Going to a nine to five job is way easier in that situation so that you can rush home to your kids, make it to ball games and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And that's great. But as it, it, although it's changing, unfortunately, the vast majority of the child care still falls on the women. So yeah. uh, until that part of it gets in different position or until you know women say i can do this too which some of them do like you and many of my friends that are in franchising but i think many women just get stuck in that that position and it's hard for them to break out of it and let's face it if you suddenly wake up and it's 38 or 40 years or 45 years old whether you're a man or woman you may not decide to get in it into a franchise system or own your own business and since women do get tied up in the whole child thing for a long time it's just i think it's I think it's to be expected, not because it's the right thing, but because it's just the way that the math is working right now. So um, I would like to see women, young women. In fact, uh, we talk about Titus, right? Titus Center for Franchising uh, down at uh, Palm Beach University and so on. And then Louisville has, uh, University of Louisville has a great one. And and my friend up in the Northeast is going to kill me, but one of the one of the uh, colleges in the Northeast has one too. We need more colleges that have those. Because yeah. they're attracting women who are, you know, of college age. Right. And that's right. going to help spur a lot more of those women to get into franchising early on. And we'll start kind of balancing the equation a little bit. Yeah. I'll tell you, I know that there's, um, there are a lot of groups out there that help support women who want to get into this. Funding tends to sometimes be an option for people. But I have to tell you, don't let it be. You know, feel free to reach out. Elizabeth and I are, this is kind of one of our hot buttons. And that's making sure that we can find resources for women. Um, two weeks ago, we did the Women in Franchising um, episode. Take a listen to some of those, and you'll find people who, you know, listen, I had no idea how we were going to do it. I just knew I was tired of balancing a demanding job, two kids, and then, of course, right after we bought my franchise, we closed and oops, guess what? Baby three's here. <laughs> and so it's like, holy hell, what happened? But it can all be done. And there are some great home-based models for for a woman who wants to get into it but isn't sure how much she can commit, isn't sure how much time. It's just amazing. So please reach out. I don't want to cut you short, but we've got a lot of questions coming in, which is, which is great. One more point. One more point, and then you go ahead. First thing I want to tell you is when I was doing my little soliloquy about women and childbearing, all that kind of stuff, I was watching Elizabeth because I didn't want her to be the one that kills me later on, right? But um, the other thing I'll tell you is, as we, you know, the, the world understands the issue with getting more women into franchising. So you t- I will tell you, virtually every funding group out there will do anything they can to try and help women find funding or, and let's not mind, let's not say just women, but, but yeah. any marginalized community, right? There, there right. Are, most of the funding groups out there are very cognizant of it. They're working towards it. So I would not want any of our listeners to hold back because of funding, because 
it's likely there is something out there that will help you with that. So absolutely, um, let's get more women into franchising. I'm with you on it. Yep, absolutely. And Jerry, when you need local banks, uh, the next question is, do you need different lawyers um, for each state that you're in? Well, uh, maybe yes, maybe no, because we deal with a fairly large law firm in our state, in our city, and they've got uh, special, each of the attorneys has a different specialty, and many of them are licensed in multiple states. So, for instance, if, if you want to do business in your state and an adjacent state, a neighboring state, it's fairly likely your attorney or one of his attorney associates uh, is licensed in that state and can take care of it for you. If you want to go three or four states over or a different region, then it's possible you will need a different attorney. But I would consult with my attorney first because he's my trusted advisor. We talk about that all the time and tell him the situation. He and her, he or she will help you on that. I'm going through that right now because of the, the clinic I'm buying where the, the, the person passed away. And uh, uh, we, we got a lot of attorneys involved in that because the widow and corporate and me and, and all that. So literally uh, lean on your local attorney who you have a relationship with, tell them the situation and they'll, uh, and I did this in South Dakota. I asked my attorney if he could find me an attorney in South Dakota. Coincidentally, he went to law school with somebody from South Dakota. So, you know, <laughs> you, you, there are resources out there, so don't let it slow you down. That's awesome. And I have a question that came in from Minnesota. <laughs> this is a good one. Uh, an old co-host used to ask, what are the first three items in the FDD you should read? And what does Jerry recommend to read first? Well, for me, first off, I hate FDDs because they're like 400 pages long, fine print, legalistic stuff. And I don't know if I understand some of them. I'll just be honest with everybody. But uh -huh. for me, for me, the first two things that I look at, and I base everything else on this, because if those two are okay, uh, most of the rest of it, they're not going to change, and I'll work my way through whatever the expectations are. I yeah. look at Schedule 19 because I want to see what the money looks like. Yeah. I want to see the quartiles. I want to see, you know, the worst performing ones and the best performing ones on revenue and profit and expenses and all of those kinds of things. And I want to look and see if they've had any lawsuits against the corporation and what those lawsuits look like because yeah. – Sometimes when a franchisor is starting up, there may be some uh, discrepancies and there may be some lawsuits. And now it's 20 years later. And although they're still in the FDD by law, they really don't mean anything at this point in time. But if there was yeah. one last year or in the last five years where a franchisee or a group of franchisees sued the uh, franchisor, I'm going to want to know more about that. And that's going to lead to some very pointed questions when I do you know, my discovery day or when I continue to work as I, as I go through that. So for me, I look at those two sections. I look at the money section and I look at the legal section and I read the rest of it or have my attorney do it or both of us yeah. do it or whatever. But uh, I, I don't really get into much more detail after that because frankly, um, the rest of it is kind of, you know, just boilerplate stuff. And I know for a fact, the franchisor is not going to change that for me. So mm -hmm. Reading it so I know what's in it is important, but reading it so that I can try and get something changed is not of interest yeah. to me. So those two things, Kristen. Okay. I also like, to, there's a couple, um, one that has recently um, been of interest to me. Well, when I looked to buy a franchise, it was one of the factors that I opted out on a franchise. And that was item eight, which told me where I had to buy my supplies. 
And in this particular franchise, the reason that popped out is because in, in that particular franchise, um, it was an incestuous relationship in which all of my marketing had to go to one company who happened to be the brother of the founder and the CEO of the brand I was looking to buy. And so my FDD and my franchise agreement said, hey, you have to do direct mail and it has to be through this company. And oh, by the way, guess what? This company owner happens to be the brother of the CEO of the franchise brand. And I was like, no, no, no. Now they have to change that. But yeah. that has really prompted me to look through that section. And then item five and six, I tend to spend some time on with my, with my folks that are looking to buy franchises too. So to your point about uh, the incestuous relationship, uh, I've looked at a lot of FDDs and very few uh, franchisors do that. Uh, that's a red flag and they, I'm surprised you found one that did it because anybody that pays mm -hmm. any attention would catch that. And, and, and more importantly, if that came up later after you bought the franchise, that's ground for you to sue them. And yep. none of those franchisors want that on their FDD. So I'm a little surprised, you know, some franchise systems uh, in a category, let's say office supplies, they give you three suggested vendors, but not required vendors. Right. That's typically what happens, or maybe one suggested, but not required. Mm -hmm. And so you have the opportunity to go somewhere else. There may be some things that are mandated. So things related to the brand would come to mind. So, right. um, you know, the, the golden arches for McDonald's perhaps might be something they get from one vendor because they want them all to look exactly the same. Exactly. Okay? So there, there are some times when there is some logic behind having the same vendor, um, but we like competition in franchising. So typically you're going to have options <laughs> and you can probably go out and find your own options if you want to. Absolutely. Good stuff. Okay, San Francisco, do I need to use a broker to buy a new franchise or only an existing? No, you don't need a broker at all. However, I can tell you that using a broker makes all of the work that Jerry did in his book um, a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, it provides opportunities that maybe you won't find on your own, um, but you can use a broker or not a broker in both situations. I just happen to think that, in my personal opinion, I used a broker, and it was one of the best decisions I could have made because um, I would have never thought to buy a made franchise. Like that's not that was not that was not what I was looking for. But I couldn't be more happy than I that I did because it worked for exactly what me and my family needed at the time, um, and it turned out to be a great business model. Do you have any thoughts? Quick yeah, I'll reinforce that. I think uh, I think like. 90% of the time you should use a broker, no matter what kind of business you're looking at, because to Kristen's point, they take a lot of the work out of it. They, they vet the other side. So you have less worry about what you're getting or not getting. They'll actually catch problems in the offering in the real estate and, you know, uh, it, all the things that you get when you buy a franchise. So I think that's a good idea. The only time I don't necessarily think it's necessary is for instance, if, uh, if you know somebody that's already in that franchise group, yeah. And you, you've been tracking their success for a while and, and they know you and they've said, hey, if you're thinking of a franchise, this is the one to be in because it's fit for you. Then you could probably go directly to that corporate group and work with their uh, uh, franchise rep and yeah. they can help you with that. And the franchise rep is really a broker that doesn't make money off of it because their, um, their job, their paid, their salary is to help bring people in. That's so. Right. 
Uh, you're still getting a lot of the same resources when you go to that, but you don't have an unbiased third party. So mm-hmm. again, to Kristen's point, if you have any concerns, get a broker involved. They will give you some good guidance, um, but there are times when it may not be necessary. Yep. Now I've got a couple different questions here. I have seven more pop up, and I'm going to try to combine and condense them as best I can. So one of them is asking about why why do we believe that the under 40 population will go off and start their own business, but they don't are there they either don't or aren't considering by buying a franchise. Is the franchising industry not wanting young owners? Well, let me tell you about a personal experience on that. Um, I can tell you the industry would love young owners. Um, I think that um, especially franchisors who recognize that their brand has been around for a while and so have a lot of their owners, um, they're looking for fresh blood, not only to share ideas and to um, really help come in with fresh perspectives and higher energy levels. I see more and more brands looking for younger people. Um, listen, I'm only 50 and I'm out of date on most all of the social media stuff compared to my 14 through 17 year olds. Like they know stuff I I don't. And so um, I think there's a lot to offer for younger people. I would never say that the franchise industry doesn't want younger people. That is just not the case. Um, but I think it's a matter of educating people. And that's why we have the show is to try to talk to people about all the opportunities that are out there. And there's such great brands for young to go into. Well, Kristen, most of the young people start their own business because they don't know better. And I'm not saying that from a negative standpoint. <laughs> the fact is they get this really great idea of uh, of something that they think their community needs or they'd be excited to own it or something like that. And they, they bootstrap it and they go out and make it happen and so on, which is great. I think that's phenomenal. I, I shout the praises from the rooftops. But uh, the fact is 80% of those businesses will fail in the first five years. And it won't be because the, the young owner didn't try hard or didn't have a good idea. They may just not have been able to put all the pieces together and, and cash flow it and so on. So uh, I just think they don't understand that franchising is an expedited route to get into a fairly safe and secure business that may be very well related to whatever their idea was. Um, yeah. Also, again, I, I don't want anybody to hang me up on this thing, but young people, because we were all young at one point in time, we think we can slay dragons and we've got a better idea than anybody else and mine's going to be better than you know the other options out there. And there's nothing wrong with exploring that. But I think that's one of the reasons so many young people don't is is they just think they can do it on their own. The other thing is, Many young people may do some online research about what it costs to open up a franchise and say, you know, I don't have that much money. I don't have borrowing capacity. I'm going to do something else and I'll open up my own thing. Well, yeah. again, there are lots of ways to get um, to get financing in the franchise world. So if any of our listeners out there are, you know, in that younger category and you think about it, uh, do not let that hold you back until you've explored some other options. And right. as we say, we say here on Pillars every week, we've got some great resources just here in our group in Pillars, and we'd love yeah. to have those conversations with you. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and, you know, again, if you go back, if we go back and listen to some of the older episodes, we talk about different options and how you can go about either finding funding, funding le- leveraging what you have a 401k, how to, how to approach your family to look for money, how to get partners, you know, what's good and bad about partnerships. I mean, a lot of these things 
Um, we talk about amongst ourselves all the time, and we try to share with you. So I'm really glad we're getting such great questions today. Yeah. Um, here's one that says, uh, Kristen, "Oh, this Scott, is, yep. Scott, let me go back on that one just a minute because I want to close it up a sure. little bit. Because uh-huh. you brought up a great point about looking for partners and things like that, and we both know that that I don't do partnerships very well because I don't play nice with others. But the fact is. Um, if you've got a young person out there that would like to buy a franchise and, and start their own thing when they're too young and don't have the, um, the, the bandwidth, the financial ability to borrow that money, for every one of those, there's at least one and probably like five people in their 40s or 50s who have a good job and want to continue at it but would love to be a partner in a business, and they have the money and the borrowing capacity to partner with this person and maybe okay. even mentor them a little bit. So. Um, I, I mean, that's what I'm doing, right? In the joint, mm-hmm. I've got Vinny. Uh, he's coming in to learn underneath me. He's going to slowly buy in, and then he's going to end up owning it someday. And there's yep. a lot of those opportunities. So young people, keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in that that frame of mind right now myself. So there's a lot out there. Again, reach out. This is a great one. Again, we've talked about this too. Can any attorney help, or should a person use a specialized attorney? I'll tell you, for 90% of the stuff, in my opinion, and I think you agree, Jerry, you need a franchise attorney for a lot of what you're doing. Not every attorney understands franchising. You know, you're 100% right, and especially when you get started in franchising. So you get a franchise attorney to help you work through all that initial stuff, the FDD and getting all the documents done and making sure your interests are protected. Um, Once you get out of that, after you've been doing it a while, and especially if you keep expanding and growing, you're going to end up having two or three attorneys probably, and you're going to have somebody that reads your leases and somebody that works on business documents that are not related directly to the franchisor, but more to some of the things you're doing locally. And so I think the, the first one you have is the franchise attorney, and you use them as long as you need to. And then at some point in time, you'll see there's some things somebody else can do. But uh, I would not think about buying my first franchise without having a franchise attorney. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the other one is, should someone uh, who's just buying a franchise buy a franchise from a company that's been franchising for less than a year or two? We've talked about this too, right? Pros and cons of an emerging brand versus pros and cons of an established brand. Would you like to go ahead and take it from there? Sure. Yeah. You know, the thing is, um, emerging brands might be phenomenal. And, you know, it, it might be like, uh, you know, buying Apple 20 years ago or something like that, or 30 years ago, you might find that emerging brand that in five years is going to be just killing it and they're going to be the best thing around and you're going to do really well. You might also buy that emerging brand that brand that's only around for one year and then they, ne- they never develop any momentum. They don't have great right. vendors. Uh, they didn't get enough branding or national marketing and they just fail. And then you're kind of on your own. So uh, I, I love emerging brands, and frankly, I will probably own two or three emerging brands in the near future. Yep. So I'm not suggesting people don't do it. I'm just suggesting it, it's a risk and reward type thing, Kristen. If you want to take a little more risk with an emerging brand for your first one, just understand there is more risk with it. When you go with a, somebody that's been around for you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years or something like that and has you know, 200 to 2,000 uh, units out there, they're pretty stable. They're probably not going anywhere. Your money's safe. Uh, you've got good uh, name recognition. So even if you decided it wasn't for you later on, you can easily sell it. But when you buy an emerging one, it might be a little bit of a, a struggle for you for a little while. And by yeah. the way, anybody that wants to work on an emerging brand, I can give you some insight into that too. So. Yeah. 
I'm really excited. There's some emerging brands that I'm ready to jump into, and they're just not registered in the states I'm looking to work with them in. And I'll tell you that, you know, again, we've talked about this on some of the episodes too, about the benefits of, you know, being one of the new owners in an emerging brand. I'm working with one right now um, who really has their act together. I really like them a lot. We're placing somebody with them and um, they're offering, because they're an emerging brand, they're offering all kinds of different incentives. And this person will be on their, in their founder circle, kind of in their franchise action committee, who's able or franchise advertising committee, whoever, however you guys want to say it, because there's different ones for different brands. Um, but um, she's going to have a lot of opportunity to really kind of steer the organization as it grows. So again, if you've got that, you know, younger person who, like you said, is ready to slay the day and go out and start their own business, an emerging brand might be a great fit because yeah. over well, half the work is done, but you're right. still very involved. Well, and Kristen, and you know this with the book and the learning platform and everything I'm doing on the other side, uh, we are working with a lot of emerging brands, so I love them. I've got a very big affinity for them because um, I'm I'm bootstrapping them, get beyond that, you know, first yeah. five or first ten locations. So so I am singing their praises when they're the right opportunity comes around for somebody. And actually, I just learned today. Uh, a brand that's not even registered yet is going to use our services to go through the process and to grow. And we're going to be their trainers moving forward. So um, I've got a lot invested in emerging brands. Don't anybody misconstrue yep. what I'm saying. Yep, absolutely. Um, the, um, the next question says, I've got two more questions left. One says, how many hours a week should someone expect to work in their franchise the first couple of years? And is the number different when buying an existing franchise over a new one? Okay, I'll take that, Kristen. You can tag team if you want to. Um, well, folks, I'll tell you, I have seen it so many times. Somebody buys one of these franchises and they want to be an absentee owner because sometimes that's the way it's sold to them. And then two or three years later, they're complaining because they're seeing other uh, people doing the same thing they're doing that are being very successful and making more money and have a second home in Florida or whatever the case might be. And it's entirely based on the amount of engagement that people have. So uh -huh. I would suggest even if you want to buy your franchise and keep your regular job, that you probably put 15 or 20 hours a week minimum into your franchise. Some of that will be in the location. So your employees see you and your, uh, your customers see you and you understand the workings of the day-to-day -day stuff. And some of it will probably be doing like payroll and dealing with corporate and all those kinds of things. But I think easily 15 to 20 hours, and some of it has to be in the location. Now, there are some franchises you can buy, and you'll be moderately successful with uh, just putting it on autopilot and letting it go. But I don't, I've not seen one yet that comes up as fast as, and as strong if you're not engaged in it. And I would say the same thing goes if you buy an existing one. In fact, I would argue an existing one, you may want to spend more time inside the four walls for the first two to six months because um, the staff is used to the way it used to be and now you're going to make some changes and they need to see first off that you really walk the walk you know you're not just talking the talk you're in there you know like me sweeping hair uh, painting uh -huh. cleaning the toilet whatever it takes stocking the yep. shelves um, and after you build your culture and build your team then you can spend a little less time but still some time inside of there but I would I mean do what you want to do it's your business yeah. But I can tell you, 
I have seen way too many people underperform with their franchise because they did not have enough engagement. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, you know, I spent upwards of 50 hours a week sometimes in my business when we got started. And it's mostly because it, it has multiple moving parts, right? It requires someone to be out of the office meeting with clients. It requires somebody to be in the office meeting with the employees. And when you're first starting, if you have a staff, and again, we started from the ground up with nothing, there's a lot of employee engagement that's needed. I mean, I wanted to make sure I understood as I hired people to help me build my business that stood thoroughly every job I was going to ask them to do because so many things. I think it depends on your industry, right? Like Gary didn't cut hair. So of course he's not going to have to be there making sure they know how to give a good haircut, right? But for me, I went out with my teams and I worked side by side with them cleaning to make sure that they understood not only were they following the procedures that Molly made had put together, but they were delivering to what my expectations were, which were a little different. They're a little bit harder to, to get to, right? And so I really think that depends on the business you have. It depends on who you are as a person. And it depends, as Jerry said, the culture that you want to build. And, you know, to this day, my girls will know if there's a problem, I'll go out there, I'll grab a bucket, and I'll be right there beside them because I don't expect my employees to do anything I wouldn't do, nor do I expect them to deal with people who are abusive and, and anything like that. So I think it's all about how you want to set your culture and the type of business that you have. Yeah, and, and the other thing I would say, because I know some very successful franchisees, uh, you know, the largest franchisee in the Great Clip system has 86 locations, and she's like my sister. Uh, another large one has about 46 or something like that, and, and I've met some people from the joint that have quite a few. And at the bottom line with every one of them, they don't have to work anymore. They, they could retire somewhere at whatever age they are and never work. And yet every one of them is still working 30 to 50 hours a week. Now, they're doing it from nice places. They're doing it from the road. Uh, they're doing it nights so that they can be out golfing and fishing and laying on the beach during the day. So you have a lot of flexibility, but you're still putting hours in. Absolutely. And the last question I had here was, um, where would you suggest, and we kind of touched on it, but it's the best place to find a business partner. And I think finding, talking to people who own businesses that you're interested in, right, is a really great place to start, um, especially once you get to know them and build a rapport. And, you know, what do you, what do you have to say about that, Jerry? Well, networking for one thing, because um, no matter how young you are or what your jobs are right now, you've got relationships, maybe at church, maybe at the golf course, maybe, you know, a clubs you're in all kinds of things network because uh, a lot of the people in those situations have always wanted to own their own business, but don't want to leave their job or can't, you know, and, and let me tell you this, I've seen this more and more in the last few years, uh, doctors, attorneys, uh, people like that. They're not leaving their pro profession. They're going to stay in it forever, but they got lots of money and they would like to diversify. And if they could find a young person that uh, brings them a great idea, and uh, creates a little trust in them, it's quite likely that they will invest and allow and become a partner with you and you're free to do what you want to do. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, thank you again for your time today. I hope I'd like to thank everybody for, for writing in and calling in and chatting in um, with their questions. These are the kind of shows that I love doing because we get engagement and it's real world stuff that is on your minds. And by all means, if you all have something that you want us to talk about, 
things that are, are of your interest, please send them to us through our Pillars of Franchising page so that we can get those to you. And uh, I would like to wish you all a very happy Memorial Day. And uh, Elizabeth, I think you're going to take us away today. I am. So thank you so much for sticking with us through some te technical difficulties. Um, sometimes the curse turns out to be a blessing when you've got all these great questions coming in. So we enjoy that. Um, be sure to subscribe to PillarsOfFranchising.com. Also, if you have questions that you didn't get answered today, you can email us at yourdream at PillarsOfFranchising.com. Thank you so much for Kristen and Jerry uh, for all of their energizing questions and answers. Um, thanks to Fred McMurray, our producer. Uh, I am Elizabeth Denham, your content producer. Uh, we together are your resources for franchising success. This has been the Pillars of Franchising and the Dream Starts Here. Wow, 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 wow,